You're going to love today's episode. We're going to talk about an interesting police stop. And uh, as you hear about the story, you're going to learn about the law, about jurisdiction, about constitutional rights, rules of evidence, appeals, everything through this interesting case. Welcome back, my friends. Uh, It's always exciting hearing from you. I got so many calls and comments over the week, and I did get one uh, run by my lawyer, (laughs) right? Um, This poor, uh, this husband and wife, and they have two kids, uh, 18 and 20 now. Uh, Anyway, there was a, um, in their kitchen, like right by the sink area, you know, sometimes you have that hot, insta hot water, right? Uh, There was this leak there, and it went under their uh, like wooden flooring, uh, laminate to be exact, uh, in their kitchen area and caused a lot of problems, right? Um, and then they had to rip out the flooring and and take the cabinets out. And then uh, when they did that, this uh, mitigation company, uh, the granite tops cracked, <laughs> okay? Um, as they were like, you know, remedying all this. Uh, and now they have to fix the flooring in the kitchen in the nearby area. But the problem is, that flooring is consistent throughout the whole house, right? You can see in this little picture, that's the same flooring everywhere. So uh, the so they have to fix the flooring everywhere. And here's where it gets even tougher. The granite tops are consistent in the whole kitchen area and in the fireplace, uh, the mantle and all that, right? And this other uh, area in the living room. So, uh, and the granite that they have cannot be replaced. They're, they don't make that kind. This is granite from the 1990s. So uh, to make everything match, they have to replace everything, <laughs> all right? Oh, and the flooring, they don't have that type of flooring anymore either. So they have to replace all of the flooring. Um, the insurance company said, how about this? We'll give you zero, okay? Because the leak was a slow leak instead of a fast leak. And a lot of insurance policies are written in such a way where they only uh, remedy fast leaks. So what I have to do is get over that hurdle of the slow leak and fast leak (laughs) and then to get coverage. And even if we do get coverage, uh, will it extend to all those uh, areas replacing things that are perfectly fine just so everything still matches? Um, Stay with me for the next five years before we can get their money. (laughs) No, hopefully it doesn't take that long. Uh, But insurance companies, that's what they they do a lot of times. If there's a gray area, they make people fight for it because most people don't fight for it, okay? Uh, All right, so let's talk about our case today. So December 2020, and uh, I'll I'll show the video and I'll explain it. So for those of you that are listening instead of watching, uh, what happens is this Army 2nd Lieutenant uh, Nazario he gets pulled over, and the 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 reason for getting pulled over is he didn't have license plates in the back. Why didn't he have license plates? Because he bought a brand new car, and in Virginia, you don't get license plates right away. So he had temporary license, and he had it up in the back of the car, but it, but it was a bit tinted, so they the police officer couldn't see him. So they pull him over because he he was driving without a license plate, and. Uh, it took him one mile to pull over because it was kind of a dark area. So it is the law that you're allowed if you're, you know, getting siren, uh, uh, you're allowed to kind of go slow and reasonably stop at a well-lit place, right? And that's what he did. He stopped at a gas station. It was about a, like less than a mile from when the police started uh, following him. Uh, and right off the bat, now he's 
uh, African-American and Latinx. Okay, we had a conversation here because I have read that some people don't like being called Latinx and some people don't like being called Latino. Uh, so I don't, I want to make sure I don't offend anyone, but it's, you know, so I'm doing my best here. Okay. So anyway, so he's half black, half Latino. And, um, you know, when, when he gets pulled over without any reason whatsoever, <laughs> the police come with the firearms drawn, right? And uh, as you can see here, so here's the police officers coming in with the firearms drawn, uh, and he is in his military uniform, right? Uh, and they're telling him, get out of the car, right? Now, he doesn't want to get out of the car because he's afraid, he said. And what he does is he keeps his hands up. During this whole time, his hands are up, right? And as he's saying, okay, what is going on? Uh, their response is, get out of the car now. Get out of the car. Sir, just get out of the car. Work with us and we'll talk to you. Get out the car. You received an order. Obey it. I'm honestly afraid to get out. Can I? Yeah, you should be. Get out. He's like, what's going on? Get out of the car. What's going on? Get out of the car. Right? Uh, keep your hands up. Get out of the car. Which <laughs> he later said, which one is it? Damn it. It was conflicting, right? If I keep my hands up, then I can't get out of the car. <laughs> right? Because I got to like, take off my seatbelt. I got to open the car door, you know, this and that. Right? So he did say that there's these conflicting uh, messages that he was getting or uh, demands. Okay. And it got really bad because he he got pepper sprayed, uh, as you could see here, and it was uh, you know I mean it was it was you know painful and everything. Uh, he has a dog in the back, <laughs> right? And then he was complaining that the dog then was was uh, barking extra loud or something uh, because the pepper spray hit the dog too. Uh, and then he finally he gets out of the car, and then they you know throw him to the ground and handcuff him and and search him and search the car and. And all of this, all of that, eventually when they figure out what is going on, they're like, oh, there's a license plate. Cool. All righty then. Um, and and it, he, there was even a, 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 an issue here because at one point the guy said, you know, uh, Lieutenant Navar Nazario said, uh, I'm afraid. And the police officer said, and I quote, you should be, <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Okay, um, so, and then the other thing the police officer said, um, because he then, uh, before he, or before he pepper sprayed, and uh, he said, Are, you're fixing to ride the lightning, okay? And I had to look this up, uh, because it came in the case. That is a reference to a Metallica song, Ride the Lightning. Any Metallica fans there? Uh, which means getting... Uh, executed by the electric chair, right? Ride the lightning. So the police officer said this to him and, and uh, you know, so that was extra threatening, right? Because basically what the police officer said is, uh, are you dying today? <laughs> the police officer, when he was asked later in a deposition, what did you mean by that? He said, oh, I just meant, uh, you know, I might use my stun gun, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, now uh, the jury, okay. I'm going to fast forward, then I'm going to explain the the, the detail uh, of how we get there, okay? And it's going to be a lot of law and evidence and uh, jurisdiction and appeals and everything, right? Um, he, the jury ended up uh, ruling that the police officer did assault him and that the police officer did do an uh, illegal search, okay? 
uh, and that it was unlawful how they operated. Um, and then they awarded him $3,685 for all of that, okay? Um, <laughs> so uh, it's going to be an interesting way how we get there. It is not, um, you know, as simple as, oh, here's the video and, and, and what's the deal, okay? Uh, so let's go now. Now we go through the the law and everything. Right. Um, the federal Fourth Amendment says uh, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures uh, shall not be violated. OK, uh, so here. Um, oh, I'm sorry. But upon probable cause. OK. Uh, so what that means is that there shouldn't be an illegal search and seizure uh, unless there's some sort of probable cause. So if a police officer just sees a guy walking by, you know, he can't just tackle him and search him. OK, but if he sees a guy running and there was just like a, you know, whatever, a bank robbery and the guy running is, you know, there's somebody running after him and he has like a bag. <laughs> right. With a sign dollar sign on it, you know, you know, maybe then he would have probable cause to search him. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So, um this is the first first thing I'll talk about is this rule of evidence. Um, that is a big kind of argument that you can make in front of the jury. Uh, the judge in this case ruled that there was probable cause, meaning that the judge said, well, uh, you know, he was pulled over. It took him a mile to pull over, you know. Um, and then when the, the cop said, you know, get out of the car, you know, and and. Whether or not that's reasonable, he has to obey the cops. He didn't. And so they had probable cause to think that, you know, uh, he was Ted Kaczynski and he was going to blow the whole city up, right? Uh, it's a little extreme, but that's what the judge ruled. So the judge excluded um, any sort of argument that they violated his federal uh, constitutional Fourth Amendment right, Okay. Um, and that is a big deal, right? Uh, and I've said it in a lot of other episodes. Uh, the law, you know, a lot of times these procedural things will uh, dictate what happens, okay? And uh, and obviously that was a big procedural issue that the plaintiff lost, okay? Um, and now speaking of the judge, uh, and all of this, the jury doesn't even hear it, you know, meaning that they don't hear that they should, you know, have discretion to that. The judge just excluded that evidence without the jury hearing it. Uh, the judge is a federal judge. So as always, we got to talk about da -da 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 -da, jurisdiction. How do we get there? Okay. Uh, this case that was filed in the federal court in Virginia. Now the plaintiffs, it's a little, uh, you know, the, sometimes the plaintiffs, if they're suing the state police, <laughs> right, which is what they're doing, uh, and they don't want to sue in the state court, right? So the theory is we're going to have a better shot in the federal court, you know, because they're going to be less biased or whatever against the state. I've, I have never personally understood that because gosh darn it, they're in the same state. It's still going to be in Virginia, but, uh, but it's the federal court, not the state court. And I, in my practice, I always used to say, I'm like in San Diego, the state court is at 330 West Broadway and the federal court is at, you know, like 331 West Broadway. It's like or Front Street, but it's right across the street, right? So, you know, whatever. Okay, so they think that they're going to get a better shot at the federal court. Now, they have to have uh, jurisdiction in the federal court. They have to have uh, personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction. Personal jurisdiction, the cops are located in that state. So they have personal jurisdiction. 
Subject matter jurisdiction is they're alleging violations of the federal constitution. So that's what's called a federal question. So we have jurisdiction in the federal court and they opted to go to the federal court. They could have gone to the Virginia state court. And, uh, and if they did go to the Virginia state court, the police officers would not have been able to remove it to the federal court. So the plaintiffs have that, um, you know, they have the choice of venue, so to speak, they call it. Right. And for better or worse, they chose a federal court. All right, cool. Um, all right. Now, and, and that's what the federal judge ruled uh, in that in that uh, manner. OK, the the next order of business here is that phrase, you know, are you fixing to ride the lightning? Uh, that was admissible, meaning that the jury did hear all that. OK, the you know, and, and that is obviously, you know, a big deal. Right. Because, um, you know, this was fought over whether or not they could hear it, whether or not people could say what that what that is and what the meaning of that is. All right. Uh, the next one that there was a fight over is the, the police officers had um, experts. And now what that means is this. The police officers who got sued, they have experts that uh, will say, um, you know, that that this was reasonable, that because the guy was not getting out of the car that the police officers, it's reasonable for them to suspect that he's, you know, whatever. Uh, it's funny. He's allowed to have firearms because it's it's uh, a constitutional right in Virginia. OK, so uh, the, but the fact that he's not getting out of the car, the this expert that the, one of the police officers uh, retained said it's fine. You know, that that is we teach police officers that that is questionable if you tell someone get out of the car and they don't. You know, um, you know, if, if someone's not obeying anything for whatever reason, uh, you know, you have to suspect that he's, you know, dangerous and about to kill someone or kill you. OK, uh, now here's the next order of business in this in this. Uh, they call it a motion in limine. All right. Now, what that means is this kind of do we allow this evidence or not? The plaintiff, Lieutenant Nazario, he wanted to exclude testimony of this so-called expert. Uh, Brandon Tatum. Okay. Uh, there is a juries love experts. All right. And, and one of the biggest costs in these trials is experts because if the jury sees this, they're going to say, okay, well, that's pretty freaking crazy what they do. The police officers did. Right. Um, and then the police officers are going to say, well, that was reasonable what we did and, and blah, blah, blah. Now, if there's an expert in the field that then comes in and says, you know, based on my 55 years in the police force and I was the chief of police for, you know, the city of New York and, you know, blah, 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 freaking Superman reported to me, you know, whatever, right? Um, and then at that point, the jury's going to love that expert. They're going to listen to that expert. And then the expert says, these police officers acted reasonably. They, you know, they were very, they kept telling him to get out of the car and he wouldn't. So they were reasonable, Right. Uh, so there's always a big fight over uh, what, who the experts are, if they're allowed to uh, talk to the jury or, you know, uh, present testimony to the jury and uh, what testimony they're allowed to present and all this. Right. So this particular guy, the plaintiff, OK, Lieutenant Nazario, did uh, made an argument to the federal judge to exclude this particular expert. And the reasoning there was that this expert only worked at the Tucson Police Department for five years. All right, so that was it. <laughs> that was his only experience. And then after that, 
he became kind of a news, you know, like he would go on news channels or he would like, you know, whatever, start a YouTube channel and God, thankfully he didn't start a podcast and he'd really, really freaking have no credibility. Right. <laughs> so anyhow, so he, um, you know, so he became like a newscaster, so to speak. Okay. Uh, and a pundit as they call it. I love that word pundit. I, I can never tell. Is that a derogatory term? Call someone. Yeah. You're just a pundit. Okay. And, uh, and that he had no real formal training after that five years and that he wasn't really in charge of other police officers and everything. So in essence, he doesn't qualify as an expert, okay? I misspoke. He is a YouTuber, this expert. So after his five years uh, at the police uh, academy for Tucson, or not police, after five years of working at the police, he even, like, he started a YouTube channel. He went on news, news reports and everything, and he was just kind of a, you know, a talking head. So I just don't understand how he qualified as an expert, but the federal judge says he's an expert and he was qualified and so be it. What was that line in uh, My Cousin Vinny? That is a lucid, intelligent, well thought out objection. Thank you, Your Honor. Overruled. <laughs> That's what the judge ruled. So this guy indeed got to testify. And obviously, you know, when he testifies, uh, you know, as I said, that the police officers acted reasonably for, for the reasons I mentioned, that the, you know, pepper spraying him was reasonable, forcing him on the ground was reasonable, you know, everything they did uh, was indeed reasonable. The next order of business, he had that particular expert, and this was not allowed to, to be viewed, is after, uh, like a year after all of this, that particular police, that, that so-called expert, he did a um, he did a, a video of the traffic route, you know, from when they started the siren and, and when the guy pulled over. Um, that was not allowed. Um, you know, the plaintiff didn't want it allowed, and it made sense just because you know that particular video it could show you know things. It, it was a done a year later, so you know maybe the circumstances changed and whatnot, uh, and sometimes. There's these like funny video editing techniques, like maybe, you know, you make it look a little slower or you make it look a little faster or you make it look, uh, you know, darker or not as dark, you know. Um, and so when they the plaintiff saw that video, they, they thought it was not a, you know, fair and accurate kind of depiction of how it happened. OK. Uh, all right. So so that was that one. Uh, and then another one is this. This one I thought was was extremely interesting. Okay. Motion and limine to exclude hypothetical questions. Okay. What is this? Uh, now, and, and by the way, the reason why I'm going over some of these, these are just some of them in excruciating detail, is this took over two years uh, from the time of the incident to the time of the trial. And by the way, that's fast. Okay. Uh, just over two years. It's like a baby. OK, um, and a lot of the fighting was just over these things, you know, the the evidence and this will make or break the case, you know, um, and I don't want people, you know, the young lawyers out there or aspiring law students or those of you who are smart enough to not be a lawyer. <laughs> right. To think, why does this take so long? Or oh, all, all it is is that they saw the video and they gave the guy money. No, there's all this kind of behind the scenes of, of what evidence is going to be allowed uh, in and out. OK, this one. In a deposition of this expert, this Brandon Tatum, okay, 
the the plaintiff's lawyer asked him a set of hypothetical uh, questions, okay? Meaning, oh, do you think it's fair if... Okay, here we go. Uh, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. They, they asked him 14 different fact sets, they called it. Those are hypotheticals. And in those facts, they said, well, what if it was you know, um, during the day and, you know, X, Y, Z happened, right? Uh, uh, what would you think is fair? And then that expert said, I think this and this is would be fair. What if it was at night, but he pulled over right away? You know, well, what do you think is fair? What, what about if, you know, the guns are not drawn and the guy doesn't come out of the car? You know, does that, does that change it? You know, so they asked him all these different questions. Okay. Uh, all these different hypotheticals, um, now, why is this such a big deal that the police officers' attorneys want to exclude is because um, what they're saying is that it's a setup and it's going to make the guy look foolish because, you know, when you ask him all these different questions and different hypotheticals, a jury could kind of uh, be, bi not biased, but they could be misled, you know, things like that. And... Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> and, and things like this, they, uh, sometimes the hypothetical question could be, well, if the guy is cooperating and he has his hands up, you know, is there any need, is there ever a need to uh, pepper spray somebody who has his hands up and he's cooperating? You know, because they could be asking that as a hypothetical question, but then their fear is that the jury would then think that that is kind of a reference of what happened here. Do you see what I'm saying? So that, that would, it, it, right. <laughs> this is why a lot of lawyers, they say something that annoys me. Oh, I don't deal in hypotheticals. Right. Uh, so anyway, the judge ruled here that, no, we do not want all of the, you know, uh, kind of going too far astray uh, is going to uh, confuse the jury and just be, you know, take too long. And there were so many facts that happened here. Let's just stick with this. You know, uh, so that one was, you know, that that evidence was indeed excluded. Okay, now uh, we come to the next order of business. So then what happens at the trial? And by the way, um, you know, I don't know uh, if, you know, or the jury was mostly uh, uh, African-American. Okay, and they awarded him so little. <laughs> okay. The jury found that indeed the police, like I said earlier, the police officer, um, you know, uh, assaulted him. That's a big deal. They found that the police officer assaulted him. They found that the police officer performed an illegal search. Okay. Um, and, and, but it wasn't the federal, uh, it was like a state one because the state, the Virginia state law was a little bit more, uh, you know, a little different than the federal law. So they found that the police officer violated those rights, okay? Um, and then the, they awarded him so little. Now, I, okay, here, here, here's what I think. Uh, a lot of times uh, I used to, to tell people, you know, or, or people would say, you know, you, you know let's say it was a, a divorce case or, you know, some, some whatever. Like the, a mom may say, oh, I want a female judge. And there was a lot of lawyers that said, you know, it, me included would say something like this. You, it doesn't, you don't know because sometimes the female judge I've seen were tougher on women than male judges. Okay. And there's a theory out there. Well, maybe, you know, 
maybe a white jury would have given him more, <laughs> you know, maybe a white jury would have, you know, said something like, holy moly, like, I can't believe that. That is outrageous. That has never happened to me. Like, wow, he should get a million bucks. Like he wanted, he wanted millions. Okay. Cause this, he even had a psychologist that testified that this caused him, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe a white jury would have given him more, you know, I don't know, maybe, um, you know, and, and maybe the black jury, <laughs> maybe they said, ah, you know, this happened to me, or this could have happened to me, or this happened to my cousin, you know, I used to always tell people, well, you never know about a jury, you know, you could have, um, you know, you could be in a car crash, freaking somebody's cripple, uh, the other guy was driving drunk or something and, and hit you. Uh, but there will always be one juror at least that says the following, you know, uh, in, in the jury uh, verdict, you know, the deliberation room, you know, my cousin got in a car crash and he didn't get shit, <laughs> right? Uh, I used to always say that line, my cousin got in a car crash and he didn't get shit. And what I mean by that is they could, you know, it could be, and for, for the record, it could have been, yeah, because that guy's cousin was at fault, you know, or it could have been because that guy's cousin didn't get injured. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or it could be that that guy's cousin hit a freaking pole, right? Or that guy's cousin didn't even file a lawsuit. Like he didn't care, right? It could be a million things. But when, when a jury could say, oh, that happened to a friend of mine or that happened to me and, and that person didn't get anything, right? So you just, there's that, that rule that you never, ever know when it comes to juries, all right? Now we have to deal with this. Um, the jury verdict of $3,600, which by the way, there's a, a dirty little, uh, I don't know if we want to call it a secret or joke, but in these cases, if you find a police officer did something wrong, uh, ordinarily the lawyers would get their hourly fees paid by the police department. So chances are that he's going to, the, the guy got 3,600, but his lawyers are going to get like half of a million. Okay. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear the anger. I can hear it. Okay, everyone chill out. I can hear it. The reason why that's the law, the theory is that we want to award the attorneys who, you know, win against the police department or against the government, because then a lot of times they, in the future, uh, attorneys will will uh, represent somebody without money up front. So, you know, the poor and the indigenous and, and whatnot, they could get legal counsel because the legal counsel knows that if they win, they can get paid by the lawyers. So, you know, that's the theory. So that's why the lawyers are going to make half a million. And the lawyers for the police department get all that money that they get for their hourly fees. So at least we know all the lawyers got hooked up, okay? So, you know, everyone could chill. All right. So now if, if this happened, and let's say I was this guy's lawyer, you know, the lawyer for the plaintiffs, they have to consider the appeal, okay? Uh, uh, now the appellate uh, rule is this that so they would go to that uh, circuit court of appeal? So it's a higher level than the federal trial court. Uh, now the theories on appeal, uh, which is I, you know, uh, either this case will get appealed, uh, or the parties will settle and they'll take into account what would happen on appeal. Because sometimes there could be a low verdict, but then to settle the case and waive the right to appeal, there'll be some sort of settlement. So even a settlement after the freaking trial happens a lot because there's still the appellate. Like the case is not over. Nothing is over. Nothing. So the appellate rules, there's uh, two bases uh, here for appeals. There's one that's called uh, as a matter of law. And then there's one that's called as a matter of fact. Okay. So what I mean by that goes like this. The matter of law 
is that the appellate court can can review and adjudicate if the trial judge made all the proper legal rulings, meaning did the trial judge properly exclude certain pieces of evidence? Because what happens is if the trial court judge, let's say the trial court judge excludes um, an important piece of evidence. Oh, by the way, one of the police officers got fired. <laughs> the reason why I, because of, because he violated, you know, police department rules. The reason why I didn't mention that earlier, because it wasn't even admissible evidence. Uh, ordinarily, if they fire someone or they, they take what's called subsequent remedial measures, that is not proper evidence. Uh, that's not admissible evidence. The, the theory being we want to encourage uh, entities to take remedial actions without penalizing them by having the jury learn about that. So it wasn't even admissible evidence. But, but for example, all of these different things that the judge excluded or included, um, or if the judge, you know, jury instructions and how they talk to the jury and things like that, all of that could be issues that go to the appellate court. And if the judge erred on any of those, um, then there's two things. The appellate court would rule if, if there was an error, that's one. And then they would have to rule that the error was so bad that it likely screwed up the case. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It likely had a substantial effect because the the theory is there's always going to be something they disagree with with a trial court judge, always. So, um, you know, the, the saying is that you're entitled to a fair trial, not a perfect trial. So if there's some errors, you have to you have to get the you have to convince the appellate court that the trial court judge made some errors. And then you have to convince the appellate court that they were big enough to, to change it. Um, now, the beauty there is that they, they review those what's called de novo, meaning that it doesn't matter how the trial court judge ruled those. They review it as if there was no ruling. So they don't even give any discretion to the trial court judge on those legal findings. The next one is this matter of fact. That one could be, look, even if the judge did everything right, he included what he was supposed to, he excluded what he was supposed to, everything was done right by the judge. If the only argument is, look, under this circumstance, the freaking jury screwed this guy, you know, they should have given him a lot more money. That one, anything that the jury does, they give the jury discretion, meaning that the only way that the appellate court would, would overturn a jury verdict is if the jury abused that discretion, all right? My favorite sports analogy here is if, you know, like the referee makes a call on the field, like, oh, that was a touchdown. Uh, the only way that they would overturn that is if there's inconclusive evidence that overturns it. Do you see what I'm saying? So they give discretion to the call on the field and then they overturn it if there's, you know, uh, an abuse of that discretion by the referee on the field. So the same thing here. If the jury, if they abuse their discretion, they could be overturned. Okay. Um you know, but it's a little bit easier to find errors that the judge made because that one does not, there's no discretion to the trial court judge because it's a legal issue, not a factual determination. Okay, now I have to, it sounds kind of difficult to win on an appeal, <laughs> right? Doesn't it? It's not as difficult as people think. And I'm going to tell you why. It's kind of, I, I have this joke about, you know, that the appellate judges want to stay in business, okay? Uh, and here's how the joke works for me. Uh, is that if they denied every appeal, then they, you know, what would be the point of appellate courts? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So they better find some freaking errors. You know, it's like, it's like, imagine you have an auditor that every single year, he never, never does anything, right? It's like, but if he finds some errors, then it's like, okay, good. Good thing we've spent all that money on the auditors. So the appellate court judges, they do indeed 
overturn uh, cases and they do revert the different overturn a case means there was a case that was done years and years ago and then they overturned that kind of theory. Reverse means this particular case they 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 say something was done wrong and they send it back to the trial court judge. Okay. So that is what will happen on appeal. The appellate court will determine those things. So either this case will be appealed, okay, um, or the the law firms for all the different parties will take into account what would happen on appeal, and maybe they give the guy more than three thousand six hundred bucks, right? You know, uh, so that he could, you know, I mean, that's a very small amount of money, you know. Um, Anyway, so yeah, so so that's what will happen. Either it'll be appealed or my gut feeling is that they'll settle this, but they'll give him more than what the jury awarded. All right. Uh, as always, my friends, keep the comments and calls coming. I love hearing from you. And it was a great session today and uh, look forward to next week. Bye.